Well, good morning. I'm excited to be here this morning to share the word this morning. And um, as Pastor Day said, my name is Kevin. I oversee spiritual formation. And with this new season of fall, with it becoming September, we're kind of in that weird period where summer is now leaving, fall is coming. And for some people, it's a good thing because there are a lot of fall fans in the world, but there's also those, there you are, and there's also those that maybe aren't so much of fall fans who kind of want want more summer. Um, I'm kind of in the middle because, you know, I enjoy the fall, but I also don't like it comes after the fall. So I'm kind of like, I want it to come, but I also don't want winter to come, so... Um, but with September being here, we do have a lot of um, awesome things starting off with our uh, spiritual formations in terms of tables, teams, and trainings. And I want to share uh, one with you this morning real quick because as you saw in video announcements, we actually have, well, you saw one of them. We actually have two new tables starting up this month. And this other one you're going to hear more about later this month, so I'm going to hold off on that one. But one is starting up really soon. It's our Salty Sisters table. Amanda and Jessica, they've been working very hard to kind of get that together. It has a funny name as well, so um, I heard some people like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. Um, so if you are a lady and you want to just find community, you want to grow in your faith, you want something to gather around for a Bible study, and also you just want to have fun, they said a big important part of their table is just having fun. So bring a smile, come on out, but they're going to be actually at the pub table in the back of the worship center after service, so I would encourage you, if you are a lady that is here, stop back there, ask them questions, meet them, because it's going to be an awesome table, and I already told them, I said, hey, if I meet any any new, any new women in the house, any, in the church, I don't know why I said house, in the church, I'm going to send them your direction, because your table is going to be an awesome table that we want people to be a part of, so and check that out after service, and we also have a couple new trainings, as you saw, we have next coming up this next Sunday. For those that want to get connected to K first, find their fit. Um, it's also a, a step towards partnership. So if that's something that you're interested in, come out to next. It's going to be before service. We'll get you out before service starts. Don't worry. Um, and then we also have our sacred rhythms training on church on spiritual disciplines that we'll talk more about at the very end of service. But both are great trainings. We'd love for you to be a part of because we want our training not just to be something that we do, but something that's meaningful to you in your life that helps you to follow Christ better. And so with that all being said this morning, we're gonna turn our attention to Psalms 23. And if I had to guess, I'm sure that the majority of you here are probably familiar with Psalms 23, right? Is that true? You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you here may know it so well you can quote it. Um, there may be some of you here, depending on your age and background, you may even know the fancy King James Version with the thous and the leadith. I don't know that one as well. Um, if you do, you're definitely more sophisticated than I am. I think I know like the NIV from when I was like little and was in Bible quiz. We learned that translation. Um, but you may be wondering though, you know, why are we going to talk about such a well-known passage? We can all quote it. We all know it. You know, Pastor Kevin, you had your pick of any passage in the Bible this morning. Why'd you choose that one? Why not something juicy like Revelation? Well, the reason for that is because I believe that our passage this morning, while it's something that we all are familiar with, that we all know, if I had to guess, not many of us are living a life that truly, fully, catch that word, fully reflects it. And please hear my heart, I don't say that to guilt anyone here this morning, but rather to encourage you to recognize that this beautiful psalm that was written long ago that we turn to for encouragement today can be more than something we just read when we want a little encouragement, but it can be something that we experience every single day of our lives if we truly submit ourselves to God. I'm going to put this down here because it's kind of in my way. And so that's... 
kind of the idea for this morning. And it's obviously a lot easier said than done because we live in such a fast-paced world where less is less and more is more. And we don't want to miss out on opportunities, so we overextend ourselves, with the, which ultimately causes us to miss opportunities because we're trying so hard to stay busy and to do things that we forget to see what's right in front of us. And we work hard in order to be rich because we think that's what brings true joy when in reality it only leaves us really wanting more. And that's not to say that hard work is bad or that we don't need money because both of those things are good things. We need that. In fact, both of those things can bring honor to God. However, what we spend our time doing, it demonstrates what we value. And if our time is more dedicated to work or to a hobby than it is to spending time with our family, then what does that say is the true priority in your life? Now, let me be clear, you know, that doesn't mean that there aren't busy seasons at work where we have to work hard or work longer than normal, or maybe there's a hobby that we're really into and there's a certain season where that hobby picks up and so we spend more time doing that thing. You know, there are many people that work hard for their families because they love them. But at the end of the day, the best thing that we can give to those that we love isn't what we earn, it's being able to give ourselves, our presence, our time, our attention. And that is truly what is meaningful at the end of the day, that we can give that to those we love. But this doesn't just apply to the people that we love, it applies to our relationship with God. And the question this morning is, is God on the forefront of your mind? Or is he just an afterthought? that comes to mind when you're in trouble, when you need help, or when you're here on a Sunday morning and you have to think about them. You don't have a choice. And so if you're here and you're feeling guilty that, man, Pastor Kevin, maybe he is more of an afterthought. I want you to cut yourself a break because it isn't as much your fault as it is the cultural moment that we find ourselves in. You know, God, he isn't about guilt, he's about growth, and so this morning, I want us to focus on growing in our relationship with him, getting to a place where he truly is our shepherd. And so that brings us to Psalms 23, because Psalms 23 gives us a beautiful picture of what a life devoted to Christ should look like. It's a metaphor for how God is close to us while still being sovereign over us. And when we devote ourselves to Christ, Life, it just begins to make a little bit more sense. Things become more clear. We worry less about what other people think. We don't give in to the expectations that are put onto us. We don't give in to the busyness of our society. We don't seek contentment in empty places. Rather, we begin to see that God is in every moment of our lives and we establish kingdom rhythms that help us to center our life on what is truly important. We aren't swayed by the expectations of others but we're centered on and committed to Christ, his kingdom, and seeing it further. So if that sounds good to you, let's turn to Psalms 23. If it doesn't, I'm sorry, I won't be here next Sunday to preach. I'll be here, but not here to preach. If that makes any, I just did the same thing again. You get what I'm saying. So since today's passage is well known, I'm gonna encourage us all today, not just to read it, but to actually recite it together. And so I welcome you to recite this passage in however translation you're familiar with. If you're more of a KJV person with the these and the thous, that's totally fine. If you're like me with the NIV, we'll keep it a little bit more contemporary. And you can also follow along on the screen. But let's read this together this morning. It says this, verse one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. You pre prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. So let's walk through this passage together, break it down, because in the very first statement it says, the Lord is my shepherd. And that statement is interesting because if David was the one who wrote this psalm, which many people think he is, it's kind, of, it's kind of interesting that he would compare himself to a sheep because he was a shepherd. So he knew sheep very well. And if you're here and you know anything about sheep, you may know that they're not actually the smartest animals on the farm. Yet at the same time, you probably don't want to be associated with the smartest animals on the farm. Anyone know, know what the smartest animal is? You can shout it out. Pig, yes, we all know the pig. But you know, he makes me lie down in muddy puddles. It also doesn't really sound as peaceful as green pastures. So that one doesn't work either. But I digress, back to sheep. You know, sheep, they aren't smart. They definitely don't smell very nice. My wife would say they're cute, so I guess they got that going for them. But otherwise, being a sheep isn't the biggest compliment. In fact, today, a sheep is often used as an insult. Yet he chooses to compare himself to this lowly sheep. Why? Well, because like a sheep needs a shepherd, so did David need God to be the shepherd in his life. And that required him to humble himself like a lowly, smelly, not so intelligent animal to demonstrate his need to fully rely and submit to God. And I feel like we, can all, we often feel like we can live life on our own. You know, we don't necessarily need God to be a part of our lives. He's, he's kind of just on the side or he's distant or he's watching us from above. And let's be honest, it is possible to live life without God. There are many people in our world who don't follow Christ. There may be people in this room who follow Christ outwardly but not so much inwardly. So this isn't saying that it's not possible to live without God because it's not possible or it, it's not impossible for a sheep to, to live without a shepherd. But if a sheep doesn't have a shepherd, it's more likely that they're gonna get lost. It's more likely they'll get attacked by a wolf. It's more likely they won't be able to, to slow down and find the pastures to eat, the rivers to, to drink. So when we submit ourselves to the shepherd, when we humble ourselves, we're surrendering to his way, his leading, his protection. And we quickly find out that life without him pales in comparison to life with him. Because life with him, it leaves us with so much more. It gives us hope, purpose, love. So after stating that the Lord is our shepherd, David continues by saying that we shall not want. And it's important to notice that want in this context is not actually saying the things that we want, it's referring to the things that we need. And this is especially interesting because back in that time um, when the psalm was written, shepherd was actually a common term that was used to describe kings. You would refer to kings as a shepherd. And so a good king would be one who cares for the people that they lead, that shepherds them well, that gives them the basic necessities of life so they can have a good quality of life as best as you can in that day and age. 
which isn't always easy to do. But it wasn't just about what they gave you. It was about if that king was fair, if they were just. So by calling God a shepherd and stating that we shall not want, we're basically recognizing that God has already been faithful in our lives, and he is going to continue to be faithful in our lives. And we see that spelled out more clearly in the rest of Psalms 23, so you'll see this more and more as we go through it. But to really understand this passage, we need to look a little bit more deeply into it, and a great way to do that is by looking at the geography, uh, giving us a little geography lesson this morning, because if you were to visit ancient Israel, or even go there now, you would notice that the land there, it's, it's dry, it's rocky, it's a rocky set of rolling hills covered with sparse and tough grass, Water sources were, were really few, and they were often seasonal. So shepherds had to be ready to take their flocks on long migrations from one source of water to the next, to another place of grazing to the next. And so shepherding, it wasn't always the perfect picture that we see in Psalms 23. With the wrong shepherd, or with no shepherd, you may be embarking on a long, difficult, unsuccessful journey to find a place to eat, find a place for water, to find a place to rest. Now as we move on to verses two and three, we get to the first thing that I want you to see this morning. And that is that God is the only shepherd who knows the path to what you're searching for in life. And spoiler alert, it's not a destination, but it's a relationship with him that gives purpose and meaning for every destination that we stop at in life. It's, uh, it's a abundant life that can only be found in God. Because once again, our culture says that abundance is about how much we can do, about how much we have, when true abundance is found in what we read in verses two and three of our psalm. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He guides me in paths of righteousness. So do you see where abundance is found? Any guesses? Shout it out. Yeah, it's kind of a trick question because you're right. The abundance isn't found in the pastures. It's not found in the quiet waters or even the paths. The abundance is found in listening to the Father's voice. All the other things, that's the result of the abundance. But the abundance is found in allowing ourselves to be laid down, to be led beside, and to be guided in. Because when sheep are laid down in a pasture, they soon realize they no longer have to be hungry. When they're led by the water, they no longer have to be thirsty. When we're led down the right path, we can be certain in our direction and be content that wherever we're headed, it's gonna be okay. You know, society says to go, 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 that we miss the green pastures and the quiet rivers. We take the wrong path because we're so focused on going when God says, slow down, to be content, because not only do the pastures, waters, and paths provide what we need, they're also just really beautiful places to rest in the shepherd's presence. And so as we see in verse two, when we're following God's leading, when we take time to rest in his presence and recognize all that he has done for us, our souls become restored, they become refreshed. And as I said earlier, once again, there's nothing wrong with working hard or being busy, necessarily. 
But the problem is when we work so hard or we get so caught up in doing that we never take time for our souls to be restored, to be refreshed, and we live life on empty, and we wonder why we feel so burnt out, why we feel so joyless, why we don't have joy. But let me also be clear is that there can be also really good things that we can invest our time and energy into that can still leave us feeling burnt out if we don't take time to rest and create healthy rhythms in our lives. Because not every path outside of the right one is necessarily evil or bad or sinful. It might just not be healthy for us in that moment. And even when we're on the right path where God wants us to go, we need to keep pace with the Father because sometimes his pace is slower than ours. And it's not because he isn't capable, it's because he knows what's healthiest for us. Let me give you an example. There's a statistic that hits a little bit too close to home as a pastor, but it says that in the church world, 20% of people do 80% of the work in your typical church that gathers on a Sunday morning. Now here at K-First, we are beating that a little bit, but we do wanna work better at getting more people involved in serving, and, and that statistic, it applies specifically to volunteering. But what's interesting is if you find yourself in that 20% of a church's volunteer base, if you're doing all that work, it's pretty likely that you could be in danger of burning out. But serving in church, it's a good thing, right? We should be volunteering and serving, getting involved in church. But it tells us that even a good thing like serving in church, if we don't have healthy boundaries, if we don't create healthy rhythms, it can lead us down a dangerous road. The problem is, is saying yes to everything that you have here, whether it's a table, team, or training. That isn't the solution to a healthy life. Choosing the right team, table, and training is the key to help developing healthy rhythms in your life. But not only does he lead us towards abundant life, the next verse in verse four, it demonstrates that he leads us to a secure life. Now why does security matter? Well, because the second thing I want you guys to see this morning is that the path that God leads us down, it isn't always easy. Once again, if you're living in the ancient Near East and you're listening to this psalm as someone back in that day, you know the terrain very well. You'd realize that there's a lot of rough terrain that you have to scale in order to even get to that ever elusive grass and water. The valley of the shadow of death, it isn't just a metaphor. It's a literal place that you have to trek with your flock. For a shepherd migrating through the spring landscape, at times, you would have to lead your flock through deep and rugged wadis. That's not a made up word, it's a real word. You can Google it and look up Israeli wadis. You can see what I'm talking about. But basically, a wadi is basically, a, it's a dry stream bed that cuts through the semi-desert hills by the seasonal torrents that are unleashed by the winter rains, specifically in the Middle East, but even in Israel. And at the bottom of these wadis is, is basically, it's heavy with the rising heat of the day, and the canyon depths, they're, they're swathed in dark shadows as the rising cliff walls exclude the distant sun. So when you're crossing through the wadi floor, the pleasant picture of the green waters and the still waters I should have said green pastures and still waters. It seems far removed. There is no grass. There is no water. The heat can be oppressive. And your flock, they'll likely struggle up the 
steep sides of the canyon in order to resume the journey to the next feeding place. And the writer of the Psalms, if it's David, he knows these wadis very well. And he, they, he emphasizes these difficult uh, canyons, these excursions, by not just calling them a dark valley, but calling them the darkest of valleys, or the, or the valley of the shadow of death. It's a way to emphasize how dangerous they can be, how it can cause a threat to the flock when they're crossing through. And so once again, without a shepherd, or with no shepherd, not many sheep are gonna make it through the wadi, through the valley. And I think that illustrates an epidemic within, the church, cult within church culture, the church culture, not just here, because too often do we see Christ followers lose their faith after going through something difficult. And one of the worst things for me as a pastor is when that difficulty is caused by the church. And before I say anything else, I do just need to say this, that any time there's a church or a Christian, Christian institution that is causing hurt, that's causing unhealth, that is a trail of ex-Christians behind them, we must speak up. Because as Jesus says in Matthew 18, it's better to tie a millstone around your neck and jump into the sea than it is to cause another Christian to stumble. And we can't have that. So with that being said, a reason that I believe many Christians are losing their faith during or after hardship is because we hide parts of the gospel story that we don't find as attractive. And by that I mean we emphasize the green pastures, we really like the, the still waters, but we don't really like talking about the dark valleys. And we need to be open and honest that life is hard at times. And that's just the way it is. And it's not even our fault. We're all, we all have difficult seasons that we go through in life. And God's paths, guess what? They lead to the dark valleys at times, just like everyone else. We're going to have hardship. Bad things will inevitably happen. But here's the difference that we should be talking about more in the church, is that having a relationship with God, with Christ, it gives us a shepherd who knows the best route through the dark valleys, who will protect us through them, and who will bring us to those green pastures and those still waters where our souls can be refreshed once again. We can't preach a false gospel that says that following Christ guarantees that it'll always be easy, that it'll always be good, we'll always have favor, because it's not true. What a relationship with Christ gives us is a healthy perspective that helps us to get through those hard times with direction, with hope, with unconditional love. And so in the context of Psalms 23, that healthy perspective, it's found in the shepherd's rod and staff. You see, the staff was used to help direct the movement of the flock by pushing or striking the sheep. Are there any stubborn people in the room that can maybe use a little bit harder strike from the, from the staff? Now the rod, on the other hand, it was used to protect the sheep from any attacking beasts. Going through the dark valley, you never know when a wolf might be around the corner. So the perspective that we get from a relationship with Christ is that it keeps us on the right path when we need a gentle nudge or a rough push 
And that perspective, it also protects us from other dangers that may lead us off course. And we only get that perspective, though, when we don't just say that we're a part of God's flock, but when we follow his voice, which comes through complete devotion to him. And that brings us to verse 5, where the psalmist, he shifts the imagery from flock to a beleaguered, faithful follower who is affirmed and honored in the presence of their enemies. And the psalmist, he kind of describes God as a host. And we are his honored guests, the guests at his table in his home. And back in that time, to accept another individual into your home or as a guest at your table was to set aside enmity and assume responsibility for the safety of the guests while in your dwelling. And that's why you're safe in the presence of your enemies. It's why you're anointed with oils, why your cup overflows, because God is a good and gracious host. And so this picture that we see in verse 5 is one of complete realization of ultimate communion with God himself. And that's the third thing and the last thing I want you to see this morning from our passage is that the journey is all about learning to dwell with God. It's not about the journey. It's about dwelling with him on our journeys. Verse six reads that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and what? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that dwelling though, it isn't just a promise for the future, it's a promise for today and it's my thesis this morning that dwelling or abiding in Christ each and every day is a thing that every human is longing for. We're longing for belonging. We're longing to be a part of something. And God is saying, I have a place where you can dwell, a place where you can belong. And it's what we see God wanted from the very beginning. He wanted to be with his people. Scholars believe that the reference to dwelling in this, in this verse, um, in, the, in the house of the Lord, it, it points back to the Exodus when the Israelites were wandering through the, through the desert and what was God doing? He was providing for them. Even though they weren't in their dwelling, in their minds, God was their place of dwelling in their, in their wandering. It also served as a reminder for the Jewish people who were in exile. There's a word called diaspora, or the Jewish diaspora. Diaspora means that it's basically a population that is scattered across regions from its geographic place of origin. So for these people, it was a reminder for their pilgrimage from their diaspora homes to celebrate communion with God and his gathered people in Jerusalem at the temple with God and that even though they were away from the temple, God was still with them regardless of where they were. Even though they were far from their country or far from their land or far from the temple, God was still there. There was eternal security, an ongoing relationship even though they were far away. And what's great is that we see this fulfilled in the New Testament through Jesus' teachings, through the coming of the Holy Spirit, is that the temple of God is no longer confined to a place, but it's inside of us by his spirit. And it's especially evident when we gather together. We feel God's presence with us. We gather together with other believers. This is the house where the Lord dwells. But you know what? When we go out to lunch and go to some restaurant, it's still the house of the dwell, where God dwells because we are there. God's presence is consistently and continually with us. We don't have to go anywhere to do or do anything to get more of his presence. 
is with us completely and fully. And so rather than trying to earn more of his presence, we need to work to realize his presence is already and greatly visible in our lives. Because to dwell, it means to abide, it means to sit, it means to remain. So his presence isn't something we have to come to, it's something that is with us. And we can dwell in the house of the Lord at all times. So how do we come to realize this more? How do we dwell with God beyond a Sunday morning service or beyond a five minute devotion that we read during the week? Well, I believe that a great model for how we do that is by looking at the metaphor of the shepherd once again because as we learned this morning, shepherding, it's a bit of a pilgrimage, it's a bit of a journey, it's making your way from one grassy pasture to the next. And it comes by learning the rhythms of the season, the patterns of the weather. It's modeling rhythms for the sheep so that they hear the shepherd's voice. They recognize the touch of his staff. They learn when to lie down and when to get up and when to walk. And it all comes down to the rhythms that the shepherd is teaching his flock. The more consistent those rhythms are, the greater and more natural the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep becomes. And the same is true for us. We need rhythms in our life that help us to learn God's voice, rhythms that slow us down so we instinctively become more aware of his presence with us. Because when we don't create healthy rhythms, we become unbalanced and we focus too much time, energy, and attention on things that shouldn't have our priority. We neglect things that are truly life-giving. We spend so much time doing, they don't slow down and enjoy a hobby that brings us life, or an activity that brings us life. Or we don't create time for family and friends, and most importantly, time for God. And you know what, we are living in a time like no other not because it's necessarily more evil or worse than ever before, because quite honestly, when you look in scripture and you look at the days when the first church was starting, there was a lot of evil and bad things happening at that day and age that was happening today pale in comparison. But what I believe is unique about today is that we're living in a time where the pace is so much faster than ever before. We live in an age of efficiency where we're constantly be given tools that allow us to do more. I recently got a Google Home so I could say, hey, Google, turn on my lights. And then I realized I, can't, I, I can also not just tell it to turn on lights, I can actually schedule it to do it all by itself. I don't have to flip a switch or say anything. It'll just turn them on and off. And so that three seconds that I'm saving from turning on my lights, I can go change the world. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, I, I'm probably just watching Netflix. It gives me, you know, three more seconds of an episode or something. Look at the internet. Look at our phones. We have information at the touch of our fingertips. And when we're bored, what do we do? We turn to our phones, and we're instantly bombarded with a lifetime of new information. We've lived so many lifetimes of information than ever before. And these new developments, they're not bad. They can be pretty great, especially when we use them well. But I bring these things up to show you what our culture is about. It's about efficiency, doing more, helping us to pick up the pace, but when we're always on the run, it's also a lot easier to get complacent because we're so tired. It's much easier to ignore what's going on inside of us because we're always distracted by something. Everything is, is begging for our attention. What are we choosing to give it to? 
But what we see in Psalms 23 is that we can't be always walking down paths and through valleys. We need the green pastures. We need the quiet streams. We need to sit and rest in order to be healthy. So like a shepherd creates healthy rhythms for their sheep, we need to be intentionally creating rhythms that allow us to slow down, to reflect upon how we're doing, to spend time uh, letting our souls be restored through abiding in Christ, resting, remaining, sitting in Him. And those rhythms can take many shapes and forms depending on your areas of growth, your personality, your temperament. What works for you may be different from what works for me. But some examples can be learning to say no when we reach our limit. It can be setting boundaries with those that we know aren't the healthiest people to be around. It can be choosing to set aside a day each week to rest, practice Sabbath, which I think we all should be doing regardless. Setting time each day to journal, to pray, to spend time with God. It's about setting rhythms to reset our equilibrium so that we are emotionally, physically, spiritually, and mentally focused and founded on Christ that we not only hear his voice, but we're able to follow it. We're not, so out of, we're not so tired that we can't follow. And a great resource to creating healthy rhythms is something called the spiritual disciplines, also known as spiritual practices. And these rhythms, they're focused on prayer, they're focused on scripture, and most importantly, they're focused on Christ. But what I love about them is they cause us to slow down, to reflect and recenter ourselves on Christ and what is truly important. And there are many disciplines. There's prayer, there's worship, there's reading scripture, there's studying scripture. There's a difference between reading and studying. Uh, surprise. Um, there can be other, other ones such as um, Sabbath, journaling, silence, solitude. The list goes on. There's many things. But the disciplines, they aren't necessarily a checklist of activities that we have to get through that we have to complete a certain amount or even do them every day. Although I think that'd be rewarding and refreshing. But the disciplines are about slowing us down so we can hear God's voice. And some of them may be familiar. You may be used to them, some may be new. But we can try different disciplines out in order to stretch ourselves and to learn what is most meaningful to our souls. It's about creating sustainable rhythms with the disciplines. So start small and go from there. See what refreshes your soul. And guess what? We don't just have to observe them alone, practice them alone. We can, we can do them with others, discuss what we experience, hold one another accountable. And that's why we're hosting our Sacred Rhythms training. It's because if you're feeling overwhelmed with life, if you're too busy, if you don't have time to prioritize your relationship with God, then this training is for you. And honestly, it's for everyone. Even if your spiritual life is great, there are disciplines that we all can experience and grow and stretch ourselves. But it starts with our rhythms. Because healthy rhythm, rhythms, they cause us to lie down in the green pastures, to walk beside the quiet waters, to recognize the right path that is before us. And they help us to make Psalms 23 a way of life. Because we don't, if we don't create rhythms, society and others and our circumstances, they will create our rhythms for us. And those rhythms, they'll run us dry. So begin to listen to the shepherd's voice. Abide in Christ, rest in him. 
And if you're overwhelmed by life and you're not following God here this morning, I guarantee that following God, it won't prevent difficult seasons, but it'll give you the tools to endure them and to come out the other side stronger, healthier, and closer to God. So where do we start? Well, by creating rhythms, creating rhythms that help you to hear the shepherd's voice, but only you can decide the rhythms that you need in your life. But I'll say one major one is being intentional just to simply slow down and to dwell in his presence, to reflect upon how you're doing, to focus on God and recenter yourself on him. It doesn't have to take long. It could be a minute. It could be a few minutes. It could be 30 minutes. Your choice. Do what works for you. Invite others to join you in practicing a rhythm. Because when we learn to abide in his presence, when we learn to dwell in the house of the Lord in the everyday moments of our lives, surely goodness and mercy will follow us our whole life long. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are our shepherd. We thank you that we shall not want. We thank you that you know the paths we need to take, that you make us lie down when we need rest, that you show us where the grass and the waters are that refresh our soul. Help us this morning to hear your voice, to follow your leading. Help us to recognize the rhythms that we need to turn our attention back to you so that we can have a life full of abundance, of joy, of peace, of love, of complete devotion with you. You are our shepherd and we are your sheep. And we are here and we want to hear your voice. We want to follow you. And you let me pray. Everyone said, amen.